2: Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, which is part of the Demcast Network. Happy December. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C. And today, M, the feminist next door, is back. And we, of course, have a lot to talk about, including the fact that Kamala Harris dropped out of the race yesterday, which I think surprised everyone. Uh, I have a little bit of news here. I'm really excited because I don't know if I think I mentioned to you guys before that I invited Steve Schmidt on the podcast. If you don't know who Steve Schmidt is, he's the he, he ran John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. He was also uh, going to run or ran Howard Schultz, uh, his campaign, that CEO of Starbucks. And everybody was like, what are you doing, Steve? And he disappeared and nobody saw him for a long time. And then when he came back, he was on Chris. I think he was on Chris Hayes. And he said that, I don't know, it was like the way that Chris Hayes asked him the question about working for Schultz. It was kind of clear that Schmidt didn't really like Schultz, which I think is kind of funny. But whatever. He did what he did. He's, he's making a living a lot more money than I make, but still he's making a living and he's doing what he needs to do anyway. So I invited him on the show because, uh, he follows me on Twitter and I was able to send him a DM. So he he responded, um, last month with his phone number and his email. That was the, the gist of his, uh, you know, response. So I do call people, you know, I call their, their phone Uh, to do an interview. And I figured that he sent me his, his phone number so that I could call him for the podcast and that he sent me his email address so that we could set the show up. So uh, I, you know, I followed up, I sent an email with possible dates, didn't hear back, replied again and said, Hey, I, you know, I'm just following up. I didn't hear back. So last night I was talking to Bob and I'm like, you know, I really want Steve Schmidt on the show. And Bob's like, why don't you just call him? He sent you his phone number. And I and I didn't want to call it because, again, I thought maybe, you know, it was just it was for the show when we had booked the show. But since he wasn't getting back to me, it's like, fuck it, I'm going to call him. So I called him this morning and I left a message. And a few minutes later, I get a call back and it was him. And it was so funny because, first of all, he has a very recognizable voice. Right. He's got that mid-Atlantic accent and. I wasn't sure it was him. He had a cold. So I was a little like, I'm like, is this really Steve Schmidt? But then I was talking to him and it was. And it was so funny because he was so friendly. And not only that, I mean, he, he was talking to me as if we had been friends. And so he had mentioned a tweet that I, I posted last night that the gist of it was that I'm offended by the fact that there is even conversation that Trump could be reelected. I'm offended by the fact that somebody who has been accused by multiple women of rape, multiple credible women, um, you know, somebody who cages children, he's a racist, all this stuff, how he could win, how he might be hard to beat. So Steve said that, you know, he's like, I read your, uh, your tweet and, and he said, yeah, he, he could, he could win. And, and like, I just like, my heart sunk. And, and so then he started going off and he was talking about the fact that, you know, if Trump wins, it would be uh, definitely a failure of the Democratic Party. And so, you know, my, my first reaction when he said that was like defensive. I felt defensive and I thought, you know, I mean, I wasn't mean or anything, but I, I immediately went to Russia and I immediately went to 2016 and Hillary Clinton only lost. Well, the main reason she lost was she was unable to overcome the Russian attack you know she it, we look at popular vote she won she won more votes than any white man in history the only person who got more votes was obama so you know i mean the the idea that the democratic party would be a failure if trump is wins re-election like my automatic reaction is to feel defensive but i do think that you know democratic party's not perfect we we are imperfect and we're not bullies we don't we don't behave the way Republicans behave. And so anyway, he was talking about that. And I brought up the fact that I lived in Russia and he's like, how did that come about? (laughs) So I'm telling him that my dad worked for ABC and this and that. And it was like, we were, we had been friends forever and we were just chatting. And he was so super friendly. And we did book, uh, the 15th of January, which, uh, he told me, you know, of, of course I have to, um, get in touch with him closer to that date and confirm. So I'm going to say this is penciled in at 115. I do think he'll be on the show no matter what because I'm going to freaking dog him until he's on the show. But right now we're looking at um, 115. Also, also, I mentioned last week that because I hate Mark Zuckerberg and I hate uh, Facebook so much that I'm slowly leaving. And it, it may take a while. But in the meantime, I am moving over to MeWe. And as I move over to MeWe, um, I'm noticing that people are saying, oh, that's where all the white supremacists flock. Well, first of all, this is what I have to say about that. Uh, I have not seen that Really, I, I did block my first troll last night, but outside of that one troll, I haven't had any experience with people coming over and and you know spouting off their white supremacist bullshit on my MeWe page. I've just had a pleasant experience. It's a slow going effort. When you know this this is something that I, I wrote about this yesterday and I said, um, I I understand that it's like a lonely thing, right? Because not everyone is over there, or if somebody created an account just either be my friend or someone else's friend you know their their feed is empty and so it could be lonely for people who don't have a lot of friends and whose friends haven't really posted anything so my suggestion was to make the effort go over to mewe at least two times a day post at least two things and then engage on other people's posts and you know it's just something that's slow going and I, I'd like to, um, Basically, I want to explain that when I lost my big, huge, engaged, exciting—you know—Facebook page where people were agreeing with me and arguing with me and agreeing with each other and arguing with each other, when that was shut down in um, October of 2018, I didn't start a new page until earlier this year, and I did it begrudgingly because I need to post my work. I need to put my work out there. So anyway. I opened or I, I started a new Facebook page and I'll tell you, it was tough because I was used to a lot of engagement. I was used to a lot of conversation, um, that was, you know, good and bad, good and bad. It was, it was, uh, fun. It was sometimes incredibly infuriating, but it was active. And now, you know, here I start this new page and it's so quiet it was like fucking tumbleweeds were rolling through and it was tough. It was tough for me and I didn't like it. I, I, I resented it, but, uh, I resented that I start, you know, I felt the need to start a new one, but beyond that it was just so quiet, but I just stuck it out. You know, I, I like stuck in there. I, 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 I made sure that I was posting and I made sure that I was commenting and I was doing my best. And now it's finally at a point. I have about 1200 friends, 500 and some followers. Um, now it's more active. It's certainly nothing close to to what I used to experience. Like for instance, um, if I had a post that was popular on my old page, I would get a thousand, two thousand, three thousand shares. Now, <laughs> I'm lucky to get seven, eight, maybe. Twenty shares, um, you know. It's it's certainly not the same enthusiasm that that existed before. But I'm I'm just looking at this like it's the long, you know. I'm in the law. Lo- I'm in it for the long run. So I look at MeWe the same way. And I, as far as white supremacists go, it's like a, well, why are we going to let them? You know, let's let's outnumber them on that site instead of letting them just have it. They can have Facebook, <laughs> and B. Just block them as you would on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever social media site you're on. Just block them. Anyway, so I'm telling you all of this because yesterday I reached out to the CEO of MeWe and I asked him to be on this podcast and he agreed. So I will be talking to him on January 8th, which by the way is Elvis's birthday. And um, (laughs) I just, I, I have a funny story about that that maybe I'll tell you later. But I'm excited because I've got the two shows booked for January that, oh my God, I, I wish I could be talking to Steve Schmidt right now, but today I'm going to be talking to M, the feminist next door. And I'm always excited to talk to her because she's so freaking smart. And it sounds like I'm kissing her butt, but I'm not. I don't kiss people's butts, but I do want to point out when people are really intelligent and I, I just, I, I'm so, um, I feel really blessed to, and I don't even use that word blessed very often. I'm not a blessed kind of person, but I feel blessed that she continually comes back and talks to me because I think the conversations that we have are important and they're interesting and they're, um, for me emotional and she, she just knows how to cut right to it. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her as I usually am before we get started. Guess what? Start Me Up as a listener supported show and I do not have corporate backing I do not have I don't have ads and I'm just going to be blunt you know I'm 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 doing this all by myself I'm an independent pod, uh, podcaster I don't have I don't have the opportunity to go on other shows all the time. Although I will be talking to Ryan Knight this Friday, so that's there's that. Um, but you know I don't have other shows going. Hey, go go to Kimberly's podcast. I'm just me all by myself. So um, I do all the production myself. I do I do everything all by myself. And it would really be awesome if if you like the show, you can become a patron and you could do it for a dollar or two dollars or three dollars or four or five or a hundred or whatever it is that you can spare, um, and. I always like to say is if you do it for just a buck a month, uh, you're not going to miss it. It's like getting me a couple of lattes a year. Uh, Two bucks is even better. And $5 gets you into And Another Thing, which is a segment I do after the free show. Although if we do one today with Feminist Next Door, if she has the time, that's going to be free. I'm going to make that segment free because I kind of want to tease everybody with it. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out if we're going to do it. And I hope, I hope we can, if for some reason, uh, Emma's not available, then I will do it myself because I've got a couple things that I want to say. And I know that Steph's going to be back sometime this month and it's probably going to be on the 18th, although we haven't booked it anyway, just go to, uh, patreon.com slash start me up. And then you'll see the different tiers. And just make a selection and support the show. I would I I would just appreciate it more than you'll ever know. And then just also a friendly reminder friendly reminder I always include the link in the text of the Patreon description of the iTunes account. Which please become a subscriber to my iTunes and give me a great review. Uh, I always need great reviews and it really helps. It helps boost me in that whole iTunes universe, which um, I haven't obsessed about usually. Usually obsessed about like. Um, how many views an article gets, or how many listens a show gets, but because I have only really become, um, or I've only started doing this once a week since middle of the year, uh, I have I, I kind of ignored the whole iTunes thing. But we are on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places where you can find it. Um, so please, please, please do that. And to everybody who has already, thank you. And to everybody who supports the show right now on Patreon, I appreciate you more than you'll know. <laughs> um, all right. So that's it for now. Uh, we're going to get to talking with M, and I look forward to it. So please enjoy the show. Welcome, M. Hi. I'm, I'm always glad to have you on the show. You, you're like this um, like cup of hot chocolate for me. give me all the feels.
1: (laughs) I'm like a cool drink or a warm drink in the winter. As the case may
2: be. You know what I thought was interesting? Uh, When I announced that you were going to be on the show, got a lot of comments from men and they were positive. And I, you know, I just, I want to put it out there. That That is interesting. Yeah. and and (laughs) I've I've noticed that you get a lot of, of male fans. Obviously you have a male, a lot of male um, critics and, and idiots, but, I, you know, I not only do I appreciate them, um, I think it's kind of interesting and I'm, and I'm really kind of happy to see that. You know, when I started out as an online feminist in 2012, there were certain arguments that I would get from even liberal men when it came mm-hmm. to rape or um, I don't know, certain issues where they wanted to, like, they were just stuck in the patriarchal messaging. It's not to say that they were bad people but they were yeah. kind of stuck in that, you know, patriarchal mindset where they're like but this is how it is. And mm-hmm. more and more men are starting to say, "Oh, okay, I get it now. I'm listening and I get it." And the fact that you are and, you know, I mentioned in the opener of the show, once again, you're you're you've got this ability to um, you know, put a whole complicated issue into one tweet that's easily understandable and it just, you just get right to the meat of the issue. And so it's great that there are men out there who really have your back because as you know, you say things as a feminist and you're just immediately pounced on by men who want to explain to you.
1: <laughs> they love to explain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I, 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 men love to explain things to me. Is, is Rebecca that says. Um, I think, I think, um, there's a natural inclination for people to feel like they should defend themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and I understand that. Um, I think, you know, I can relate to it. There were certainly times in my life, you know, less proud times where if people would make comments about white people, I might feel a little bit offended it might be like hey you know yeah. I'm not like that which of course is not true I mean if you if you have any privilege at all in your life and you aren't actively adjusting it the mm-hmm. chances of you never having perpetrated uh you know some degree uh, of exercise of that privilege are, are virtually none yeah um so it's it's um it's understandable and I think that there's really two kinds of guys who stay following me on Twitter and a lot of them don't <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh there's the first kind of guy who is following me for the sole purpose of harassing every yeah. every single tweet that I <laughs> that I write and you know I used to get really um Self-righteous about not blocking them mm-hmm. because I would say, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want you to feel like you won, right? Right. Um, but then I was sort of like, actually, I don't care if you think you <laughs> won <laughs> because, like, I, I'm tired. Yeah. Um, and also, I think you know, there gets to a point where um, you have a certain number of people who are participating um, in your online community. You have to kind of be conscientious about. Mm-hmm what kind of environment you're creating. So yeah, if people are like harassing and abusing people in your replies. You kind of have to take some responsibility for, for managing that.
2: Well, that's exactly how I feel. And I mean, you know, it's a little bit of a different subject, but going back to 2016, and that um, ridiculous, awful, exhausting race, I, you know, initially, I was a Bernie supporter. And then of course, I became a very adamant Hillary supporter. And, I put up with a lot because I felt as if, you know, I mean, here I was, somebody who was, you know, so pro-Bernie, and really it was more his overview vision as opposed to the man. But, you know, I, I was so pro pro that vision. And then I went over and I really did, even though Hillary was never, you know, I mean, people call her my queen and stuff like that. I I, I don't fall into that category, but I absolutely recognized her as a, the most qualified individual to ever run for, for for this particular office. Nobody's Mm -hmm. more qualified than her. And, you know, it's not to say that I agree with every choice she makes or I agree with everything, but I would have absolutely trusted her um, mm-hmm. as a president and, and thought that she would be not only effective, she would be historically great. Um, but I, I was very kind of, I don't know what the word is, but it was like, I didn't necessarily want to block people. I didn't necessarily, I always wanted to kind of like hash it out, but I found right. that it was too, it was just like fucking wasted effort. It was emotionally yeah. exhausting. And so I am much more prone to blocking now. And Usually the only kind of people that I mute are um, maybe high, high profile blue checks who I don't necessarily want to block, but I just don't want to see them. Because I think when you mute people, they're still able to come on to your to your comments and say whatever you want. And then you don't even know what they're saying. So you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you might notice it by other comments. Um, But you know what, this, this brings me to something that I wanted to bring up with you because there was like a, I guess a slight misunderstanding we had. And I'm actually glad it happened because I'd like to talk about it because I've noticed that there are times where you respond to somebody maybe who has a follower and, Uh you know, and they just have like a blank profile picture and no cover picture. And they say something egregious and, and horrible and misogynistic. And then you counter that. And so I, you know, I'll come on to those tweets and I will, you know, point out that this person only has one follower and that I'm blocking them. And so I, you know, I, I you had made a, a tweet after I did something like that and you were defending the fact that you were doing that. And I thought that you were talking to me. And you're yeah. like, no, I'm getting a lot of people who are saying, Why are you even bothering? And and I'm totally and I was like un- <laughs> Kimberly, if I wanted to talk to you, I would fucking call you. <laughs> I know. I know. But I just <laughs> I just thought I, I thought I upset or offended you. And so I wanted to be clear and, and I wanna be clear right now that I think it's important that you address these things because whether or not they're a bot or I have they have one follower, what they're doing is echoing a sentiment that is already out there. And not only that, they are they are um, by tweeting those kinds of things those misogynistic things they are reinforcing it for real people mm-hmm. um, so it's I Absolutely. certainly think that it's 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 very uh, important to address them but I also believe it's important to point out that they are just trolling you know so that other people when they're when they're reading your th- Excuse me, when they're reading your threads, they can, you know, sometimes people don't necessarily differentiate and they might think a troll is a real person. But as long Mm -hmm. as a troll is echoing an absolute, you know, sentiment that whether it's GOP or anybody by, you know, who, who buys into the patriarchy is putting out, those arguments need to be countered. And no better person, and I mean that, no better person than you to do that. Um, because you you have such a way with words, and you're able, like I said, to just like distill it down to the finest point. And so, um, and then the other funny thing that I wanted to bring up was you had sent <laughs> you had sent me that tweet that someone had figured us out. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> so someone definitely thought that 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 they had discovered my real identity, which, by the way, like, is available online now. Uh, Anyways, thanks to, you know, numerous uh, fans of mine, fans uh, in quotes there. But they were sure that they had figured us out. And they said, you are Kimberly
2: Johnson. Yeah, lawyer, Kimberly Johnson.
1: (laughs) I was like, oh, man, you caught me.
2: (laughs) That was so Freaking funny! I was oh like, "Oh God. shit, I'm verified now." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a lawyer, so there's that. Yeah. You know, I, I also I also want to bring something up, and before you even react to it, just hear me out. Um, oh boy. You're, well, you're a I, you're a millennial, right? Is that what you uh-huh. are? Okay. Yep. So you're a millennial, and I'm a Gen Xer, and occasionally, I say things whether we're on a podcast or whether we're we're doing Twitter. I'm, I, I get worried sometimes that I'm going to offend you. And sometimes when, like, there was something I said that was negative about myself on one of the podcasts. that w- I think I called myself stupid for, uh-huh. uh, for doing something. And you're like, wait a minute. And I, and, and what you followed up with was don't call yourself stupid. And you were, you were being very kind to me, but your initial tone was like, I thought, Oh my God, I said something wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I still want you to talk about my friend like that.
2: (laughs) Well, and, and the thing is, is that I, I kind of worry because I'm a Gen Xer and being a Gen Xer, I'm a, not always politically correct. And. I'm also kind of jaded, you know, like the Gen X mm-hmm. generation is all about whatever. And, you know, I don't know how many I, I would be a millionaire if I had a dollar for every time I said that. Um, and my father even makes funny fun of me for saying whatever all the time. But <laughs> I just kind of wanted to let you know, I mean, it's not to think you've never scolded me or made me feel bad about myself. It's just that sometimes I I worry um, because there is that generational Um, difference in, you know, sometimes I look at the younger generation and I'm just going to fall right into that category of, I don't get it. Not to say that I'm putting it down. It's just Mm -hmm. that it's, that's not in my, I don't get it. I don't understand um, that mentality. And other times I absolutely appreciate it. You know, I I really appreciate that millennials and young people are so much more aware of um, bullying and how to treat people because without getting into details, uh, you know, when I was younger, especially when I was a teenager, I said shitty things about other people, and it was never mean spirited. It was just going along mm-hmm. with what my other friends said, and we laughed, and yeah. you know, at the expense of others. And you know, and I, and as I've aged, and I've kind of understood what that means. You know, I'm a sensitive person, and I don't want someone saying shit about me or making fun of me. And so I'm all about um, acknowledging where I've been wrong in the past and making the effort to not be that way anymore, you know? And it's not, Mm -hmm. again, I was never necessarily mean spirited towards a group of people or other people. It's just that there were, you know, there were times as teenagers where we talked about people and we all laughed and it was accepted. And that was the way it was at that point. And so Mm -hmm. the millennials, I think, have really helped to change that atmosphere and taken away, you know, there was like that whole Gen X uh, jaded thing. And I think Millennials kind of is like, no, it, that doesn't work for us. And so I do appreciate it. I really, truly do. Yeah. But it's like sometimes you, mean, I, you scare me a little.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, this ties in well, um, to, you know, to the second, the second group of, of guys that keep, that keep following me on Twitter, which are, which are the guys who are willing to step out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will say that I am not. I'm not lumping you in with a group of guys, but truthfully, you have never, um, offended me. I'm actually very, um, it's very difficult to offend me, although (laughs) I'm sure there are people who would disagree with that. But, um, I think it's, um, I don't know if it's a generational thing or if it's, you know, some people are just more, um, willing to step out of their comfort zone than Mm -hmm. others. Maybe there's fewer repercussions for doing so, Mm -hmm. um, as time goes on. But, um, I think it's, it's kind of about saying, uh, it's okay to say that you weren't doing your best in Mm -hmm. the past. Yeah. Um, you know, like I like to say, if I feel embarrassed about something that I've done in the past or said, um, you know, unless it's something that is deserving of a greater degree of seriousness, like sort of my go to line would be not my best work.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. right.
1: Um, and so it, it's it's OK to feel that way. And and we should reflect on the ways that we've behaved. I, I have often wondered if there will be a day when someone will find something that that I tweeted or, or manage to find that my Facebook like from college or something, and I'll just be absolutely humiliated by yeah. something I said. Um, and and I feel like there's probably you know, I'm giving people ideas now, I shouldn't right. be doing that, but <laughs> I, um, I'm sure that the, I've there's something I'm I have no doubt in my mind that there's something I've said, um, that would be embarrassing to me, and and it has happened to me already mm-hmm. too. So, um, <clears throat> I think that as long as you approach people with empathy, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what I try to say often, um, you can kind of take them off the defensive Mm -hmm. if they're willing to listen to you. Um, And then if, if they're listening to you, it takes you off the defensive too. Yeah. So it's like, if, if I say to somebody like, Hey, that's not cool. Like what you're saying, no, stop doing that. And, and, and I have to choose between how much I want to give people room. I think often we confuse uh, approaching people with empathy with giving people a path. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. And exactly. I think it's like there's a difference between saying to somebody who is trying to explain to you where they're coming from, um, "I don't care," like I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And, and saying to somebody who's either not providing you with any sort of explanation or providing you with what is very clearly some bullshit, um, or they're not listening and just saying, like, I, I don't, you know, like, I don't, I'm not going to give you the time, um, from my day to, to engage me in some bullshit. And also like. I expect of you as an adult to be able to understand this mm-hmm. and so if you can't it's either because you don't want to or it's because this conversation is not meant to be productive yeah um, and so it, like it, those are the times when I'm not going to keep talking to you but I what I have found is that in the same ways that I have been so appreciative of other um, you know certainly, racially marginalized friends that I've had, gay friends that I've had, where I've made a mistake and they course-corrected me and then said, let me explain this to you. Um, and I felt like they were telling me because they wanted me to do better, mm-hmm. not because they were angry. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was always just so incredibly appreciative of them, and and I try to do that, and I have found that when I approach, you know, men who are willing to listen with that tone, they're like friends for life yeah. after that, you know? Yeah.
2: That's absolutely so, the way it is. I think that, um, it is hard, you know, I mean, I'm at the point now where, I mean, I, again, I'm, when I look back at some of my past behavior, um, I can say, okay, not my best work. Uh, the only time I, there were, there's definitely sometimes that I cringe. One of them, I had the opportunity to kind of make up for it and I'll just be brief about this. But when I lived in Russia, I had, uh, in my school, I had a home teacher or, or I should say, a, a, I was homeschooled, uh, f- Russian by a Russian woman. But then I went to school, Anglo American school, and we had a, a teacher who taught us Russian too. And I don't know, you know, this, this particular man did not come over or go over to Russia through the school, I think, and I don't know exactly why, but I think that he went over there on his own. And, you know, he, he's very smart. He studied Russian and I think he wound up marrying a Russian woman. And, at the time I was 12 and, you know, people in my class were talking about him and they didn't understand his desire. Uh, we were under the impression that he went over to Russia on his own. And we didn't understand that because it's like prison state. It was fucking awful. And so we kind of made fun of him. And he also, he used to sweat under his arms, which... I wound up doing, uh, you know, it was terrible for me. Uh, two different times in my life, I had terrible sweat under my arms. And it's like, here we, you know, we never made fun of him to his face about that. But that was something that we used to mock him behind his back. So um, I was one of those kids that, you know, bought into let's mock the Russian teacher. And there was a particular day where uh, I, there, there was supposed to be like this kid who, who won principal for a day. And in the long, in the long run, that kid never really got the uh, authority to be principal for a day. But for like 15 minutes, we thought that he was going to be. And I went up to him and I said, hey, can I take over the Russian class? And Uh and he said, yeah. So I went in and I was so fucking rude. And I (laughs) and I said to the teacher, I'm like okay, get out. I'm taking over the class. <laughs> oh, and, and he, he looked at ass. me like, um, like he was so defeated. Everybody was so mean to him. And, and, um, he just really like after a couple of minutes of me just being an asshole, he, he just threw his hands up in the air. He's like, okay, I'm leaving. And he left. And then we found out that, that he re- that guy really wasn't president for a day. And then the other thing that I did was at the last day of school, Uh, we gave him a gift, which was a t-shirt with all of us writing, I can't even imagine the horrible sentiments we wrote on this t-shirt. And I gave it to him, I presented it to him. And, you know, again, he had that look, just defeated. And, and, you know, and and so years go by. And I, I look back on this behavior. And I think, what the fuck was wrong with me? Why was I taking delight in mocking this poor guy? And he was just a good guy who who wound up getting a teaching job in an American school in Russia. And the kids treated him like shit. And so it's interesting because I looked him up last year and I found him. And I sent an email and profusely apologized and acknowledged how horrible I was. And he was so cool about it. And, you know, and, and and the funny thing was when I ended the email, I ended it with like the wrong spelling of your or something. And so I followed up and I, I made sure to say, OK, I, you know, I had a typo. And he said, he said, your first email warmed my heart and your second email made me laugh. And I was so glad. And we had a little back and forth. But, you know, it's like I use this example to say that, yes, I was definitely awful at times and and I think that was probably my worst that was my my worst behavior it was I I didn't necessarily mean it to be mean-spirited but it was mean-spirited and I just thought I was being funny and I thought that my my classmates would like me and so you can go back in times in your life and you can reflect especially when you were younger and you can say what the fuck made me do something like that. But I think it's immaturity. And I think it's desire sometimes to be accepted within your peer group. And you know, whatever reason it is, but then you can finally come to it and say, Oh, I was an asshole. And Mm -hmm. I I, it it felt really good to tell him that I was sorry. And it felt good to know that he accepted it with an open heart, I would have totally understood if he just said, Well, you're a jerk. And I hope mm. you have a nice life. But he didn't do so that.
1: That that's a really important point, what you just said, and, and I wanna grab that because um, you know, when I listen to you tell the story, I mean obviously it's relatable. I'm I have had many points in my life where if I could, you know, go back and and do things differently, I certainly would have. And I don't I don't think there's anyone who yeah. exists that doesn't have something like that. And I would I would encourage them to be the first one to cast the stone, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but I think that um, there's a unique character to a situation where someone is part of a group that mm-hmm. is systemically marginalized. And it doesn't mean that it's it feels different than how your teacher felt in that situation, like moment by moment. Mm-hmm. But it does obviously have different effects over time. Mm -hmm. And I also think that the participation is a little bit different too, because in that circumstance, you know, you sort of had to take active steps in order to participate probably for the same reasons overall that people participate in, in marginalizing other communities, Mm -hmm. which is that you are looking for membership yourself in a group Um, and you felt elevated by engaging in this kind of behavior, whether you felt socially elevated or whether it was just like that, you were making the other kids laugh and it made you feel well liked, Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, whatever the reason may be. Um, but when you're talking about a situation where someone is systemically marginalized by another group of people, the difference becomes not just that that in the situation you're describing, you know, you're a student who who says something rude to the teacher. If you're a student who says nothing
2: mm-hmm.
1: while other kids are doing this, you to the person who is being marginalized are the same. Yes. And so I think that's a really hard thing for people to grasp. Some people get really defensive about it. And I try to I try to say, like, please just put yourself, like, mm-hmm. in a real-world situation. Put yourself on the sidewalk for a moment. And someone is screaming at you, like, in your face. They're just screaming at you. And they do this every day, all day. Every time you walk by, this same person does this. And every time, this other person, same person, says nothing. You don't think any differently about that person than you do about the mm-hmm. person who screams in your face every day because they might as well be screaming at you, too. Yeah, because for the person who is screaming at you, their silence is bolstering mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. screaming at you, and it's also creating an audience for them uh, to perform in, and it's mm-hmm. demonstrating to you that whatever suffering you're going through is not meaningful enough to them for for them to do anything differently. And, And so it's like people have a tendency to have a hard time with that concept. And then even when they understand it, so even when they're willing to accept, um, okay, I understand that I have privilege. I understand there are probably plenty of times where I haven't spoken up or I've been part of a group that, or part of, and, and, you know, this, this goes so far as just accepting benefits without thinking them through, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, there's plenty of times where, you know, if you have privilege, like you are maybe not actively oppressing someone, but you're getting a benefit that they're not Mm -hmm. getting and, and you're not, you're not rectifying that. Um, and I think, um, people are willing to accept that over time, but they still have a tendency, and and I think men um, are especially prone to this, to center themselves in that conversation. So it's, I understand that I have privilege, and I've learned, and now I'm not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the situation that you're talking about, like you sent your teacher this email because you wanted to demonstrate that you understood Uh, That what you did was wrong. You felt guilty about it, Um, but there's a difference between saying, "I understand this is wrong. I would like to tell you that that I've learned um, from my mistakes," and I I just truly wanted to apologize. And then doing that and saying, and then the guy never replied. Like, what a jerk!
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? Because it's not about you. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's you're not owed. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and fortunately, you you weren't expecting one, obviously. But you know, some people I think have this expectation that that if they tell you, "Well, I'm not like that," or "You know, well, I get it, I understand," and you're sort of like, "Great." Like, I don't think you I actually don't think you do because if you did, you wouldn't be ha- you wouldn't be carrying this expectation of me. Yeah. Because I never owed you anything in the first place. Mm-hmm. You owed me not treating me like shit. Mm-hmm. And so this conversation about how you are no longer going to treat me like shit is sort of like okay <laughs> <laughs> Thank you I guess like, I mean like, I, I just feel like like it, there's this um there's remaining like lingering bits of privilege when you expect someone to be
2: grateful right for, 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 for treating them yeah. how
1: you should have been treating them in the first all place all
2: yeah and you know with this teacher, i I expressed my profound apology. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I explained that I, I didn't understand, I can't understand why I felt the need to behave that way, but it was wrong. and you know, and that I was just sorry from the bottom of my heart. And I didn't expect necessarily to hear back. And when I did, I, I mean, it was like, How can I explain this? It's not that I I felt satisfied with myself because, oh, I'm so great and I did the good thing and I was rewarded with a response. It wasn't that. It was I was grateful, like I said, that he had an open heart because to this day, I still cringe at that behavior. I still feel like, Jesus Christ, what was my fucking problem? Why was I like that? You know, there were there was odd choices that I made when I was a kid that I can look back on and, you know, it didn't make sense. And, and here's a non sequitur. I decided one day that I felt like breaking into my mother's car. And so I, as one does. <laughs> and so I used something, uh, I don't know what I used, but I stuck it in the keyhole and I fucked up her, her, uh, you know, whatever the keyhole, I fucked it up. And she, she, she she went out to the car to put her key in and it didn't work. And she's like, what happened? And of course I had to admit to her, I don't know what made me do that. Just like the other thing that I did that was so weird. And granted, I would think I was only four or five. I don't remember my age. But I do distinctly remember getting a penny and then going in my room and hiding behind my bed. And swallowing the penny, which, by the way, was very difficult. And I'm glad that I didn't die. But I managed to swallow that penny. And, and by the way,
1: that penny was toxic
2: masculine. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's like, what the fuck was I thinking? OK, I was four. So there's that, but it, but it all goes to the same thing. There were decisions that I made when I was younger that I don't know why I thought they were good ideas, or I, I don't know why those ideas even came into my mind. Um, and so obviously now as I'm older and I can reflect back on my life and things and I can say, Oh, okay, that was wrong. And I shouldn't have done that. Um, but you're, yeah, going back to your point, um, I, I absolutely did not, um, require his approval or his you know whatever something favorable Appreciation, yeah I just right. I just wanted him to know and because I thought he deserved to know that I recognized I was a fucking asshole to him <laughs> so you know right. I,
1: well, and, and to be clear that was totally the right thing to do <laughs> I don't want to discourage anyone from from making their
2: apologies, I think. Yeah, just don't um, expect the appreciation. If you do it, do it so that you can let them know it's not. It, it, you know, granted, I got something out of it because it made me feel better to to get this off my chest. Um, but it mm-hmm. didn't make me feel better because I thought I was so great for doing it. I just, I just mm-hmm. thought, okay, I have an opportunity, and I've never in all these years since 1981 it's never left my mind. It's always something mm-hmm. that I've gone back to. In fact, there was a, there was one year, I, it was probably like mid 80s, where I was already home from Russia. And there was some party that I think my parents, my, my stepmother and father were going to, and they were the ones who lived in Russia. And I heard that this teacher might be there. And I was petrified. Because I just I thought, oh my god he's gonna see me and it's gonna be and I at that point I was you know only 16 17 he's gonna old. be like you <laughs> yeah and, and I and I just I was afraid to even see him and I didn't at that time have it in me to make that mm-hmm. kind of an apology so um I just well, and I was it takes frightened. courage
1: too right yeah. it takes courage to realize when you've done something wrong and 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 have the ability to to say you know what that was the that was the wrong thing. Yeah. There, I'm always surprised you know, on there have been times on Twitter where I've said something um and either I didn't think about how it would sound. <sighs> like I didn't put enough thought into it mm-hmm. and and I should have put more thought into it because whatever I was talking about was serious enough that I should have yeah. realized that it had that I should devote the time to being tactful. <laughs> um, and then there are also times where I've said things and been like, wow, like, I did not exercise good judgment in <laughs> saying that. Um, and, and that was really not the right thing to say. And I, I try as, um, as much as I can to publicly say, like, I shouldn't have said that or I made a mistake.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And people will always say to me, like, I've just I've, I've never seen someone do this on Twitter. Hmm it's so rare to see people do this. And, yeah, it is. and it is, it's sort of like, if I'm going to expect accountability from other people, I want to hold myself mm-hmm. accountable. Um, I'm definitely not perfect. There have been times that I probably should have apologized for something and didn't. <laughs> um, but I think people just need to be better and more willing to do that. I think if, if everyone was, it would be way easier to do. Yeah. Um, You know, like with a friend, you know, if you say something to your friend that hurts their feelings, you have a level of comfort with them where if they say this really hurt my feelings, Mm -hmm. at least hopefully you can say, Oh my gosh, like that's definitely not what I meant. I truly am sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wish that we could approach mistakes that way, like sort of more holistically.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but I, I, think ultimately, Um, the thing that, you know, I try to say to people is they'll say, you know, it's just really hard for me to be your ally, uh, when you are constantly talking about, you know, the the things that men do that are bad. It really makes me feel beaten up. And I'm like, that's interesting. How do you imagine it makes me feel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, like do you think I'm enjoying it? Like, Yeah, right. Not, I mean, can we just for a moment consider who's got it worse in this situation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot, especially, um, well, I just quickly want to go back to what you were saying about admitting you were wrong. Back when I used to have a thriving Facebook page before uh, fucking Zuckerberg killed it. I, I would do that too. I would say, okay, I was wrong. And and again, the reaction was like, wow, somebody admitted they were wrong. And it's like, um, and you're like my crown, please. <laughs> and uh, my, you know, I'd learned as a sales rep, when I went into sales, my mother said to me, if you get something wrong, own it to your customer. Don't ever put the blame on somebody else, always take the blame. And, you know, and I, and I took that to heart and I always have, and now I forgot what point I was going, what were, what were you saying right before I, um, jumped in? No, I can't even the, remember
1: that people should be more willing to do
2: that. Um, yeah, I know, but there was something else you were talking about in my mind is racing and I can't remember what I was um, going to say. I Dana, gave Dana, Dana, you a Dana.
1: crown. <laughs> um, we talked about how you fucked up your mom's car. Yeah,
2: no, I know. But there was a point you were making right before I jumped in, but I don't know, maybe I'll, um, we were talking about on oh how it makes you feel that
1: you're a bully well how it makes you feel vandalized your parents vehicles (laughs) and and apparently got yourself kicked off facebook see i'm such such a good
2: person (laughs) i know it was the fact that um you know, men don't like to be reminded of the Mm -hmm. things that men do and how you're like, how does it make me feel? I feel that way all the time because I feel like, you know, I'm friendly with a bunch of people on Twitter who I admire, including you. um, But, but outside of you, because what you're doing, what you're doing is what I'm specifically talking about. But I'm talking about other people who are maybe a little bit more, um, you know, I have a tendency to kind of scream. My I'm like Wah! and I, I tweet it out with my scream attitude. And, you know, whether it's about rape or whether it's about something else. And I and I wonder if these people that I admire, um, look at me and go, Oh my god, she's so fucking angry all the time. She's so angry at men all the time. And you know, and it's not that I'm gonna stop
1: I have
2: said that and liked it about you for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. And the, obviously, you know, so many people, hundreds of thousands of people are drawn to your account because you're able to to very succinctly make all these points. But it's like you know, I, I've always been that person who's wanted to scream when I see an injustice and I realize that, you know, sometimes it's going to be you know, I will never be on MSNBC. It's not something that I want. I don't want to be on MSNBC, but I'm going to criticize MSNBC if I see them doing something that I think is wrong. And um, you know, maybe they're not going to like that. Not to say that I've even ever been considered to be on but I will go after the news media if I see that they're making a mistake because I just I can't help myself and so Uh it's like you know when I when I see uh whether it's you know men behaving badly or women behaving badly I'm going to call it out and Uh and I know that you know in fact a troll dude came on my thread and he said don't you ever have anything positive to say all you do is sit around on Twitter and you know scold people or whatever he said, you know, and it's like, well, that's obviously a tactic of a misogynist to shut a woman up. Um, well, that's obviously
1: literally exactly what you're doing.
2: At yeah, moment, so. exactly, and it's like, of course I, of course I have fun in my life, and of course I laugh and smile, and I have wonder, but you know, I'm on fucking Twitter, and and this is Twitter is not real life, so Twitter mm-hmm. is a platform and a microphone and a soapbox, and and it, it's an opportunity to, uh, you know, what's so different about Twitter as opposed to say like Facebook or Instagram it's so much easier to just directly correspond with somebody and Mm -hmm. or you know quote tweet them or whatever it is and, and you can you can have that opportunity where you don't have it in other platforms and so it's just like once I kind of figured Twitter out I was like oh my god I love it here and it's like I love hate but I love the fact that it gives me an opportunity. It gives you, it gives all of us that opportunity. And then, of course, somebody wants to come along and say, well, you're just so negative all the time. Ugh, whatever. Well, I'm sick and tired of the fucking patriarchy, and I'm not going to stop fighting for it. And I really, in the bigger picture, don't give a shit if um, I offend somebody. Because, mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously my goal is equality. Um, I kind of want to switch gears here, though, because I really want to talk to you about, what you think about this uh kamala situation and also i had um interviewed greg oliar not too long ago i don't know if you know who he uh-huh. is but uh i think so well excuse me he said he wanted kamala to be the president and uh-huh. part of his uh argument his main argument was that she would go after she's a cop she's going to go after the robber trump and Mm -hmm. he made a really good case for it and after i spoke with him um i was teetering between kamala and warren i I Mm -hmm. specifically love warren for her policies i love how she there's just so many things i love about her but then i look at kamala and while i certainly saw things that i wish she could have improved they had nothing to do with they were all optics had nothing to do with how she would lead I completely trusted how she would lead it's just that sometimes it seemed like she was reaching for words when I, I wish she just would have been sharper but um mm-hmm. but that that woman is a fierce force of nature and so oh, and kamala you-
1: is like the most cathartic person <laughs> right it's like you just the way that she you know addresses things and it, it's like when you when kamala gets in like a a line or a point, you know, or she sort of kind of, she she has that tendency of sort of drawing um drawing someone who's like talking on and on and on to like a very fine point and then and then just like looking at them and waiting like <laughs> yeah like, you know and 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 it's like it, you it makes you kind of go like yeah, yeah yeah you know like like she she makes you feel enthusiastic, she makes you feel represented um and, I mean, I, I love Kamala. I love her style. I think she's um, very obviously a prosecutor, mm-hmm. which for some people was, uh, I think, a detriment. Personally, I found it to be uh, very well suited mm-hmm. for the role that she's in, which is as a, um, a federal government employee tasked with enforcing the law. Uh, so, and, and then making laws also, mm-hmm. uh, which is truly, you know, what you're doing as a prosecutor by, by taking cases and creating jurisprudence. So, um, I have always found her to be incredibly well, well placed. You know, she, she fits her role mm-hmm. very well as a United States Senator. And I, I would have voted for her for president and enjoyed it. Um, I was stunned when I saw that, that she was Uh, was drawing yesterday i was really disappointed not in her i mean right obviously i i was disappointed only because i i really like her and i always enjoyed um listening to her i think for me um and and this is also in fairness i i can say with honesty that i did not dive as deeply into what some of Kamala's policy proposals were, as as much as I had de- dove into Elizabeth Warren's, mm-hmm. so you know it's not fair for me to say that I wish Kamala had more policy because I don't know that it's true that she doesn't, and also like Elizabeth Warren is not really a fair standard. Um, you yeah, know, like she churns out policy like know. It's nobody's <laughs> business. Um, and and you know the, there's a point. There is a fair point to be made as to whether. Um, quality over quantity is, yes. um, is more important. So, and, and I, I take that argument to heart. I loved a lot of her policies relating to um, equal pay. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that she did a really good job of, um, in, in the most recent debates, you know, all of the times that women's issues were mm-hmm. raised to, to a pinpoint head, it was her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, she would say, and she was very inclusive in the way that she talked about women, um, and and addressing women across the income spectrum, racial spectrum, LGBTQ. So I I found her to be um, I I found objections to her as being uh, cold or sort mm-hmm. of like of like not tuned in to using tact and an empathy and understanding and addressing like a wide range of people to, to be like a kind of a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. You know, like I, I think she very naturally spoke the language of someone who had looked at issues holistically. So, um, I was really sad to see her go.
2: Well, I mean, and so was I, I think that now, unfortunately we're left with all white candidates, which just this looks bad. It's just fucking bad. Mm -hmm. And but going back to Greg Oliar, he posted something today. He did a thread. And so he said what he thinks. He says, "Okay, I had time to. Now, keep in mind, Greg is a very Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi kind of guy. And he did a thread um, when, when he did Just interesting, uh, yeah, grouping of <laughs> that is, I mean, that really explain I mean, if you, if I was going to explain him to anybody, I mean, those, or at least his politics, that's where he stands. And so, I mean, he very much wants Hillary to come back in the race, which I don't necessarily agree with because I'm frightened by her baggage. I like the woman, but I'm frightened by her baggage. But beyond that, um, and the baggage is only what the GOP created, but it, it worked the last time, and so that that's what f- frightens me. Um, but so he had done first, he had done a tweet thread. I don't know, a month ago, two months ago, and it was it was selling his case for Kamala, and and one of the points was that she would go after Trump, and then you know if he was defeated, then he uh, in past there has never been an administration that went after that. Former administration for crimes and things like that, and I know that there are people who are disappointed in Obama for not going after the Bush administration for war crimes. Um, my boyfriend, who has been political forever, has ar- has argued the point that okay, well, if you know, if, if we do it, then they're going to do it, and then it's just going to be endless. Every single president is going to be um, indicted or prosecuted, or whatever um, after their term. And I, you know, to a degree, I, I kind of understand where he's coming from, but now everything has changed. Everything is different. And the kind of crimes that Trump has uh, committed and, and, and the egregiousness of all of it, it's like this time we can't look the other way. We can't, because no matter what, if we're going to, if we get the democratic president, please, please, please. Um, and then the, you know, I believe we're going to see Republicans trying to impeach. So let's, Let's get a majority of Democrats so that doesn't happen. Um, And then, when that president is defeated by a Republican or whenever the Republican wins again, then we're likely going to see some kind of an indictment coming from them based on whatever bullshit they pull out of their ass, as if they're still behaving the way that they're behaving now. Um, So, Greg makes this point that of all the candidates, he felt Kamala was the one who would be the strongest to go after Trump. And he also. I don't know. He was under the impression that Biden would also be somebody who would go after Trump. Now, would Elizabeth Warren? I don't know. She's never said it. She was the first to call for impeachment, but impeachment is different than uh, our criminal justice system and going Mm -hmm. after someone. Um, And then I look at Buttigieg, who I, I feel, which we'll talk about maybe in a minute, but I don't know that he would go after Trump because his message is, hey, let's all come together. We have to stop being divided. And I think he would view going after Trump as a divisive action and I think he might avoid it and so Oliar was saying today on a tweet thread that after he's had time to think on it he thinks what happened because this was so abrupt was that Biden contacted Harris and said hey if I'm if I'm the nom will you be my VP and that they've Uh agreed to this and then he's all for it because he said he even said uh, you know this would be like the law and order administration and um Not only that, but she might even possibly be president before January 2025, meaning he could step down if he wins Uh at some point. Um, The only thing that scares me about that, and I want to get your opinion on this, but I look at this and it's like, all right, I don't really want it to be Biden for a number of reasons. But if if Uh Harris is there, she's going to strengthen him. And I would be thrilled if before 20, you know, 25 if she were in the oval office which gives her the incumbency and then she has a stronger chance of winning. But even if she is the VP who runs in 2024, um I, you know, that again it, it gives her an edge. Um, the uh-huh. thing that I worry about with Biden more than anything, more than his refusal to understand that he's been inappropriate so many fucking times and you know, the fact that he's a gaffe machine more than any of that. It seems as if Joe is just aging and aging and aging before our eyes every day and his actions um, are worrisome to me. It's not about ageism. It's about the fact Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, I mean, can he can he physically handle what's going to be on his plate? Can he be strong enough to handle Trump's bullying? I don't know that. I'm going to mm-hmm. vote for him if he's the nominee, but that worries me. It concerns me. Um, I think that I can I can feel more comfortable supporting him with Harris as his vice president, um, and, and then that's where it goes. So how do you feel about that, if that's what actually is the case?
1: <clears throat> okay, so let me take this uh, point by point here. Um, I agree with the assessment that I think – it's possible that Harris was approached, um, by the Biden campaign. Um, I, I think I saw something on MSNBC where someone was being interviewed, um, who was either personally close to Kamala Harris or close to someone on her campaign, um, where they, they were relaying, you know, whether or not this is accurate, I don't know, but, that she had said she would only be willing to entertain a vice presidential nomination from a few people Hmm. and that those people would be Joe Biden, which, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, That makes sense. And Mike Bloomberg. Wow. (laughs) Um, Which there is sort of like this weird connection that people keep drawing between Kamala and Bloomberg, um, which I don't don't know how weird it is. I guess I, I think in some ways, where Harris falls on the spectrum of leftism, so to speak, is has always been a little bit ambiguous to me, and that doesn't bother me. Like it bothers some people, but mm-hmm. um, I, you know, she she sort of, you know, maybe maybe this is the the white male in me speaking, but <laughs> I, uh, you know, it didn't bother me because she fell in, on the in the she fell in the right place on the issues that mattered most mm-hmm. to me, um, if I'm being honest. So. Um, but I, I sense that that's, there's probably some truth in that. I I don't think that she got like pulled off of her campaign, mm-hmm. uh, and, and said, you know, like sort of put, put a, um, a campaign that wasn't already struggling, um, away because she wants to be vice president. I also don't particularly buy the argument that if you want Kamala Harris as an enforcer that putting her in vice president makes any sense because mm-hmm. that's not the role of the vice yeah, president. Right. Um, you know, she could be a fantastic attorney general.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the role of the vice president is diplomacy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um I think it would be I think Kamala Harris could be successful in any role, mm-hmm. but I, I would I would just see that as sort of a mismatch for for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's why you want her to have the role. Um, So I'm not sure I agree with that point as a, as a, as a selling point for her. I'm a little bit troubled that this is now the second well-liked, incredibly articulate Mm -hmm. younger black woman that we have heard rumors of the Biden campaign trying to solicit as a vice president Mm -hmm. Um, because it feels a little bit, um, utilitarian to me. Mm Um, and I just don't, it just doesn't sit well. Um, I understand that politics is the, I understand that the nature of politics is utilitarian. So, um, that's not lost on me. It just, it just, I just don't like it. Um, I think black women get used enough. So I don't particularly feel good about that. Well, um, I, and
2: I've seen black women on Twitter um, absolutely rejecting this idea, saying, "Do not use her as your mule." I've been uh-huh. told that when I suggested that, you know, when possibly um, w- if Warren were to win the nomination and then go on to win the presidency, um, you know, A- Kamala could be an AG, and you know that that was insulting to some black voters, and they and they felt, you know, no, she she's running for president. And 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 my whole point to that tweet was not actually about the idea of Kamala being the I, AG. It was because I I tagged Elizabeth Warren and it was kind of in hopes of please Elizabeth Warren, will you, if you do win, will you go after Trump? Um because I'm not sure if she would. And I really think it's important that whoever wins the presidency goes after Trump. But, you know, that's an aside. Um, I totally agree with what you're saying as far as Kamala, you know, maybe it's not the best position for her to be a vice president, but perhaps if I kind of look at it like, I think Joe, you know, I mean, if our country is so hell bent on putting a white man in the place to beat Donald Trump, um, and that white man is Biden, because Buttigieg is unable to win over the support of Black people because Biden still has that support. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, of course, it could be it could be a utilitarian, you know, thing. And as you said, that's how politics works. But I think the bigger picture on this is not so much as her to be some diplomat. It's about her taking over, because and, and that's really sad. Because what what that's telling me is Biden himself doesn't even have. Um, the confidence to well I think he understands that he's not going to be able to serve two terms period he's just not going to make that he see I think he sees himself as all right we are in this emergency situation and I've got this support and let me step in and win this thing and then like pass the baton I kind I'm wondering I and this is a guess and I don't know but um I think it what it would do ultimately, as opposed to her maybe four years of vice president, would give her that opportunity to not only run for president a second time, but now be in a position where she gets to see um, up front and up close what that what that's going to mean, and and maybe she can rearrange her campaigning style that that's a little bit more. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, because I'm not going to bag on her campaign style. Now I know that her campaign has been criticized by many people, and and that supposedly her sister and her campaign manager have made some choices that aren't so great. And I can't say that I know all about that. It's just that I I've read articles that have talked about the fact that she's had issues with them. So perhaps she might make cleaner choices next time, or she'll make a choice that's going to be a little bit more favorable. And it could give her that opportunity to be the president in 2025. And that's how I look at it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that this is the way it should be. That's certainly, I mean, I think what should be is the person who would be the most qualified to do the job right now. And, you know, and, and, and when I, when I look at the field of, Viables, And I'm going to include mm-hmm. Bernie on this because he's got the numbers, although I'm not sure he's going to, I don't think he's going to get it, but you never know. Um, but God those, but those viables, I think of all of them, the best chance we've got right now is Elizabeth Warren. And that's because I'm afraid of Joe Biden. I don't know if he has the strength and the and the ability to overcome Trump's bullying. And I mm-hmm. look at Pete Buttigieg and I think he's just too young. I think he's too immature, and he hasn't figured out at this point how to reach out across the aisle to people of color. I just he just you know, he he doesn't have that experience. Whereas Obama was a younger man when he was running, but he was a black man, so he understood. Um, he knew what that meant, whereas Pete Buttigieg can only guess. And him being gay doesn't give him an insight to being black. Mm-hmm. He, he he has that insight yeah. to what it's like to be gay and to be in the closet and to feel like you can't be truthful about who you are. But gay, black people can't even be in the closet. <laughs> you know, I mean, they yeah. they can't. And, hide. and neither can women. Right. right. So you know, and it's and again. Well, I guess
1: we can't, we can't. Women can be in the closet,
2: <laughs> just not as being women. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that he it's not that I think that he's such a bad guy. I just I just think he needs time to mature and to get a f- better understanding of how to, you know, I think there was this one event he was at where he was talking to black folks and, and they were upset with him. And he says, well, I'm not asking for your vote. And, and this woman said, well, you're not going to get it either. And it's like, that's Ugh, just the wrong God. thing to say. You don't you are asking for everybody's vote if you want to be president. And so, you know, he just there are things that he doesn't quite get yet and he needs time. So of those four people who I think are viable, I think Elizabeth Warren is the one most likely to beat Trump. But if it's going to be Biden, he's going to need to pick a woman and he's going Mm -hmm. and he should pick a woman of color. And Mm -hmm. it's not because of a utilitarian thing. It's because we need diversity on the ticket. We can't Mm -hmm. keep just going with fucking white men. We can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's like, oh, I mean, it's like, I, you know, and and no, I wish that she, I wish she wasn't whitewashed in the media, but she was. It's like, you look at P. Buttigieg. Oh, it's so great. He's a Rhodes Scholar. Well, so is Cory Booker, but who's talking about that? Uh You know? And, you know, I mean, I think Julian Castro should be on that debate stage and, you know, and he's not. And so clearly as a country, we are certainly not as far along as we should be with, you know, whether it has to do with women or people of color, we're not, but, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to find the hopeful, I guess, like the hope. in if it is Biden and and mm-hmm. Harris, you know, it's like, I get what you're saying. I totally agree with you, but I also feel like, well, <sighs> Maybe this could be this path for her to, be, to become president.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's, here's what worries me about a situation where Kamala Harris takes a vice presidential nomination and Joe Biden decides after four years that he's not going to run again. Um, I, I would like to see Kamala Harris become president In a presidential race where she runs as a candidate, Mm -hmm. not as a de facto successor,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, because I think she could win. Mm -hmm. I think she will run for president again. I certainly hope that she does. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just... I'm, it's frustrating because I'm so cognizant of all the criticisms that people would have that would be unfair Mm -hmm. in that situation. Um, And I feel like if you say, can we just have one more white guy? If you let us, we'll trade you a black woman (laughs) president. Yes. It's kind of like, fuck you, man. I know. Like, can we just, can we just elect the most qualified person and stop saying, like, well, can this person beat Trump? And like, like, obviously that is important. Like, that's the number one goal. But what you're doing is you are telling me, like, whenever someone says, well, yeah, I mean, I, I really like this, this progressive policy or I like Elizabeth Warren or Kamala or, or um, Amy Klobuchar or whatever, but, like, I just want someone who can beat Trump what you're saying is I don't think any of those people could beat Trump, even though I think politically they are as the strongest. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, the reason that 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 would ever be true is because of people like you.
2: Yeah. You're um, absolutely, it's this catch 22. It, it You're absolutely right. Well, and, and the thing is, is that when this whole um, election season began, you know, I braced myself because I knew, okay, we're going to see the sexism from Politico and from the New York Times and from these, you know, very respectable sites that have been around forever. And, and, and there's going to be, you know, maybe not, obvious racial, um, issues when it comes to reporting on them, but there's, there's going to be undertones of racism. And, and, and those undertones are where Pete Buttigieg gets all the credit for being a Rhodes Scholar, but Cory Booker never, ever gets mentioned for it. And he's a Rhodes Scholar. Um, so, you know, there, our media is set up to favor white people, white men in particular. And so I was grappling with this and I would, I, I was so, torn and because i get the idea that we're basically uh, a nation that still holds on to patriarchal narratives and we allow we allow republicans to set those narratives it's just like the idea with feminism with feminists hate men that's a gop talking point and unfortunately it seeped so far down that liberals believe that not all mm-hmm. but enough too many You know, I had a conversation with a man who is a liberal and a Democratic voter who said to me, who knows that I'm a feminist, feminists hate men. And it was like interesting because this this, is I hate when you
1: say that shit.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it's like this guy said this to me, knowing that I'm a feminist. And there was a disconnect for him because he understands what he knows that I don't hate men. Yet he has been so conditioned to believe that because that's what's been pounded into our narrative, our collective national narrative. And so that's what I was struggling with at the beginning of the of the election cycle. It's like, all right, there's the two camps where it's like anybody can win as long as everybody votes. But is everybody going to vote? We've got independents out there. It's not just all Democrats, but there are even the centrist Democrats that are absolutely, um, you know, they hate Warren. And, and, and they're just, they're going to say shit about Warren and they're going to treat her like she's a socialist and they're going to treat her like she's the pie in the sky like they did to Bernie, which, which by the way, on a side note is I, I don't think we should do that as Democrats. I don't think we should poo poo and shoot down big ideas and say they're impossible. I think that's the stupidest thing we can do because we prefer another candidate. Um, I think what we need to do is say, okay, well, we all have the idea that we want Medicare for all eventually, but instead of taking the hurry up, let's do it fast approach, I'm for the let's do it incrementally approach. I would rather see that kind of a discussion rather than, oh, it's pie in the sky and unicorn unicorn farts and all this shit. But it's like, I've felt like um, I don't want to put it out into, into the world that a woman can't win or a woman can't beat Trump because it is a patriarchal narrative, but then I'm torn with the whole idea, but that's who we are still. We're still this nation that is so afraid of, of a woman being a leader, even even our progressive, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a progressive crowd, which is like, no, we're not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. But I recognize that there are people who are so, I don't know if the right word is brainwashed, but so conditioned to believe that that's not going to happen, that, they, that they're going to make it so. So, I mean, I, I feel like I absolutely agree. And and I'm going to say one more thing. Like, I'm going to go back. I always do this in my head with the Equal Rights Amendment, which is about to be um, ratified in, in Virginia. And it's the last state. And yay. If if there was this option where the ERA could have been ratified years ago, but it would have required men doing it and women taking a back seat, um, would I have preferred that over women fighting, or or women and men fighting for it? And the answer is going to be, I'll take it earlier. Because even if men are the ones that are fighting for it and women can't, women are going to be the ones who benefit from the ERA, and they're going to be able to rise um, much faster with that in place. And so as much as
1: here's, I think, I agree. I mean, I think from a pragmatic perspective, most people would... Would, would want the change to take hold, you know, regardless of who's implementing it, mm-hmm. um, which by the way, is at least the argument that's been presented to me as to why Joe Biden has a, such a large yeah uh, base of black supporters mm-hmm. um, because they, they just want to get Trump out and exactly. they feel that yeah. pragmatically he is the best choice. Um, but I think the problem with that argument is that there is not, a lot of historical precedent for it. Hmm. So you have, we have had a lot of people, a lot of white people saying they were going to do the right thing by, by people of color. And a lot, a lot of men, a long line of men who have said that they were going to do the right thing for us. And then didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to me, it just, I always come back to, you know, it, I have to laugh when I see somebody like Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg or, or any of the, um, any of the guys, like, like, I think that Buttigieg and Biden sort of exist on opposite ends of, of the, why are you running spectrum for me? Um, because with Biden, um, I think he was just, he was so well liked, um, after eight years as vice president, he had, um, what was at least, you know, not without hiccups, but for the most part, you know, bipartisan, in a bipartisan way, a very well recognized political career. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people asked him why he was running, um, you know, it was clear that the answer was because he saw what was happening with Donald Trump and he wanted to change it Mm -hmm. and i think that's a great reason and i believe him Mm -hmm. that that's why but it frustrates me that for him and every other white guy in this race the response to i want to beat donald trump is only i can do it
2: yes yes and you're absolutely right about that especially Um, with a white man it's like it I want you to be passionate about
1: beating Donald Trump. I am also passionate about beating Donald Trump. Um, but if you're somebody like Joe Biden, you have so much political weight, like throw it behind a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like, he, he says stuff like, well, you know, I would definitely love to see more women of color in, in, uh, positions of authority in federal government. And it's like, well, you could do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you could help with that. Right. But you're not. You know, like, yeah. like, uh, do you really wish that? I think he would say that he does. I think he doesn't not wish it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, like, you're not fucking doing anything. Yeah. So, like, how are you going to convince me that, like, well, I'm the only one who can beat Donald Trump, but when you let me win... As a gift to you, I shall give you a black lady vice president and I shall, as part of my trade, um, give you, you know, all of these things that I promise to work on for you. And it's like the best thing that you could do is help get the most qualified candidate yeah. elected um, by adding your own political weight to that person Mm -hmm. like right now you have a field of white guys who are all vying against one another for points and and this is my fundamental um objection to bernie running again it's like you you have this field of white guys who are all just jockeying for percentage points here and there obviously they're front runners but especially once you get into the the lower numbers of just like rich white guys who decided like Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna jump in um it's like if you guys would just take that money, like if Tom Steyer had funded Kamala Harris, <laughs> mm-hmm. we wouldn't be having this conversation.
2: Exactly, and he's not going to fucking get anywhere. But you know, his ego needs to be stroked.
1: Exactly, and yeah. so it's just—it's just like I just—if you can't even accept the not running for fucking president, how do you expect me to believe that you—that you, that you yeah. are really going to get in there and support me? Yeah. Like I just—I I don't. I just don't buy it and it's like with Pete Buttigieg it's like dude you're the mayor of fucking South Bend (laughs) like I believe you that you're incredibly smart I think you probably could do a decent job as a vice president maybe Mm -hmm. but like why do you have to be the boss in order to help
2: yeah yeah, and he's, you know, I mean, the, the the concern that I have with him is, you know, he's he's his numbers have raised and gone up in Iowa and New Hampshire, and if he, you know, if he were to for some reason become the nominee, if he doesn't have support of the black community, he's toast. And that troubles that's trouble. I don't know that he's going to make it. Um history shows that Democrats like younger people. I mean, we we put Clinton, we put um Carter, we put you know, um, Obama, Obama in there. So, I mean, okay. Elizabeth Warren may not be young, but she certainly has more energy than I do. <laughs> I mean, that that she woman presents, is like
1: she, is, she. I think she does have all of the qualities that attract people to younger candidates. Yes, which she does. Is, um, you know, creative thing and th- that attracts attract people to Bernie Sanders as well. Yeah, you know, creative thinking, um, a lot of emphasis on younger generations, a willingness to not. Um, to, to not sort of placate the older generations, mm-hmm. yeah, um, a willingness to not placate authority classes. Um, those are all characteristics of younger candidates that both Bernie and mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren also have, which I think is why younger voters, more pro- progressive voters have not seen their age as problematic.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, that's totally, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, well, we're coming up now on an hour and 10. Well, we're on an hour and 11 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... We're going to close down uh, this show and we're going to move on over to End Another Thing. But I'm I'm putting that free um, because your conversations, I think, are so important and I, I want people to have an opportunity to, of course, to hear End Another Thing. And you could, you could subscribe for $5 and hear the rest of them. But um, anyway, before we go... I want to make sure that you are um, – what is your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Emraz, at E-M-R-A-Z-Z. Okay, and of course, you know, you have more followers than I do, so when you share it, more people are going to see it from your end. But just in case, if you've never heard or followed Feminist Next Door, obviously she's great. Follow her. And um, I'm going to be talking with a woman who wrote a book about uh, running – running for office next week. So that's going to be a fun conversation. And, uh, all right. So that's, that's it for now. Thank you for being on the free show. And, you know, of course I'm going to be calling you again in January, (laughs) maybe February. Um, I love it. Yay. Well, thank you. And just stick around for end another thing. For all of you that are sticking around after the conversation, thank you. And I'm just going to be real quick today. Um, don't forget to follow me on social media. You can follow me at um, on Twitter, and you can find my MeWe page um, in the you know in my little Twitter bio uh, at author Kimberly a author K I M B E R L E Y and just real quick uh was i gonna say oh yeah next week we're gonna be talking to a woman who wrote a book about women running and i'm not exactly sure uh when steph will be back but i'm gonna try for the 18th and that's gonna be it so um thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the show stick around for end another thing it's going to be free to all listeners and we will see you next time